I've had a longing in me for a very long time for this desire for more spaciousness and really resisting the constant drive, the, the always on mentality. And I feel like, and maybe for a lot of us who feel really overwhelmed or, or disempowered, like what, what can we do? Um, actually, I think the most important thing to do is to finally <laughs> be with it, as in be with how we're feeling. Can't force your line. The wave's going to dictate that. It's going to set the tempo and the rhythm. And it's about how do you, uh, how are you coming into relationship with that moment by moment. Welcome to the Ocean State of Mind, a podcast about the wisdom of the sea and what it can teach us right now. The Ocean State of Mind is a proud project of the Ocean Foundation. I'm your host, Damien Evans. I'm an educator and ocean lover who has spent a career teaching in and building communities that nurture the human potential that lies inside all of us. I've also spent much of my life playing in and exploring our oceans. Now I'm on a mission to uncover how the ocean and our own awareness or mindfulness can lead us to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. Lives that are in concert with our ocean planet. You know, I began this project because the science and evidence is pointing to mindfulness as a novel and as yet untapped opportunity in our fight to save the oceans and our planet. However, in this time of coronavirus where many of us are staying home and learning how to manage our lives and stress in new ways, let's begin by learning how the ocean and all of nature can help save us. In our first episode, we are fortunate to be talking with my friend Eski Britton. Eski's a big wave surfer from Ireland who's also a marine researcher. She's looking at the connections between human health and ocean health. In this episode, we'll talk about what Eski's learning from the ocean and what she's doing, and, and you can too, to slow down, stop the always-on mentality, and be with the vulnerability you may be feeling right now. You know, for me, hearing these insights from a woman who can charge the big waves of Mulgamore in Ireland, and I mean waves bigger than a house, will be sure to provide you the wisdom to bring calm in an uncertain time. Here we go. So we have Eski Britton on the line. She's calling in from the coast of Northern Ireland, where she's living off-grid. So Eski, it's it's so good to see you. Maybe let's just start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Well, great to see you. Yeah, I'm Eski, and I grew up in the northwest of Ireland in Donegal, currently living off-grid at my partner's farm <laughs> by the coast, which it seems seems kind of pretty timely at the moment. And yeah, I, I grew, grew up surfing. My parents, parents are surfers, and I've always had that close connection with the sea, which has influenced pretty much everything I've done in my life since and right now i'm feeling that connection is is really supportive um we're going through this very strange time <laughs> um but yeah so there's lots of things i can dive into and obviously a lot more i can say about myself so let's, let's see where we can take it sure you have an interesting resume of sorts both as a marine scientist or researcher looking at tying ocean health and human health and you also are a you know longtime surfer. I think perhaps the first woman to be nominated for a Double XL Big Wave Award, if I have that correct. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how those two worlds blend together. Oh, great question. <laughs> yeah, they definitely do. Sometimes, <laughs> not always. <laughs> um, yeah. So with the, with the big wave surfing, I, I was nominated uh, the first Irish woman possibly European though I'm not entirely sure for a big wave award I think 2011 for the it was the first time uh, and if, a few times after that uh, so where where I live and learn to surf it sort of uh, has one of the more famous big wave spots probably now in the world but certainly in Ireland in in my backyard about half an hour away from the house called Mullock Moor um, I think being a big wave surfing in Ireland is probably just really been around the last 10-15 years uh, 2007, I think, is kind of the year that marked it really kicking off with um, the likes of Mickey Smith coming and, and pioneering waves at the Cliffs of Moher at Aileen's. Um, 
and prior to that, some of the you know, local surfer Richie Fitzgerald and his pal Gabe Davies uh, starting to toe in at spots like Mullock Moor. So it was those early days of big wave surfing, I think, in the world, it was just kind of expanding the edges of what we thought was possible of our human potential to ride waves of that size, waves of consequence. In Ireland, it was also like, how do you even access some of those spots? So with something like the jet ski, although there's controversy surrounding it since, it still remains a really important, I suppose, water safety craft, but also was a game changer um, in opening up this whole other world of surfing in Ireland in particular, and, and has since supported some um, incredible talent in big wave surfing. And I just think Ireland lends itself really well to that kind of energy in the ocean and the draw or pull to want to tap into that has always, always been so, so present for me. It's just so elemental. It's certainly somewhere perhaps because we're an island in the edge of the Atlantic that we get such a range of weather and we're dealing with this constant state of change day by day, hour by hour, you know, four seasons in, in one day or one hour sometimes. Um, so that, that's kind of, they're the kind of shaping forces in my life and, and with surfing and that, that, that kind of intensity to it, I suppose. And perhaps then I was drawn, I mean, that's such a, a full body experience, but I was also, because of my immersion in the sea, really drawn to wanting to better understand it for one. <laughs> um, and then traveling a lot as a surfer, being exposed to different environments, but also the changes a lot of these ecosystems are undergoing. And I think as surfers, we're really at the front line of that because we're immersed in it. We're, um, um, yeah, just, we're also so, um, not just, it's not even just like an awareness. It's like we're directly impacted by changes that happen in the ocean will directly affect us. And I think there's that separation for most people because of the land sea kind of dichotomy or separation whereas we all you know have this image in society of the sea as something out there a lot of the time even though it's something that's radically shaped societies over millennia (laughs) in terms of how we our movement how we transport where we source our food uh you know that, that, that all of that that connection to water is so innate in our culture around the world uh but yet there is this also this uh bizarre sense of separation and even in somewhere like Ireland too where the sea culturally is also a place to be feared um, and is a place of loss and tragedy so there's all of that and then something I suppose I that as you can tell <laughs> my rambling conversation it was just that curiosity to better understand the relationship the human relationship with the sea you know and how can um, yeah how can we better understand it and also maybe how can we recover the parts of it that we've lost you know that disconnect so it was two parts it was wanting to better understand the ocean in terms of the ocean's health and the changes that were happening there in terms of our impact on it and how to protected and then the other was you better understanding actually well what yeah what are the consequences of that for us and how do we I suppose that reconnection if we could reconnect with it uh, learn to love it again uh, would that also help um, the ocean be healthier too so yeah. that's kind of where I came at it from the marine science point of view right thank you no it's there's there's so many nuggets in there I mean just following the curiosity and also looking at how do we reconnect, you know, the separateness of human and sea. And I, I wonder, you mentioned when we were chatting online that you've just wrapped up a manuscript. And I wonder if there, you might take what you were just saying and talk a little bit about what that manuscript or book is going to be about. Yeah, so the the book, well, I have to get used to saying that out loud in public, <laughs> the book that I'm writing or have written, uh, just, just the, submitted the final manuscript this week, actually, to Mercier Press. Um, still, still up in the air when it's going to be published because everything is in this weird pause, <laughs> right. suspended at the moment. Right. Uh, but it's there. And uh, for me, I think a lot of the process of wanting to do it was the, the writing of it. And it's called Saltwater in the Blood. So it explores very much what I've been talking about. What is that human relationship with the sea? Drawing very much on my own personal experience, my my life story, but also then connecting that in, in a more universal sense of like, why water? Why is it that I feel this way? Is that, you know, particular to me? Or is it something actually that's more universal in, in people and humans? 
and then kind of also through surfing as that kind of lens to explore um, different ways of creating that connection in a positive way with with different people across cultures um, and that also draws a lot of my experiences and just playing a lot on I suppose those kind of powerful active metaphors around those moments of encounter with something that's more powerful than us like the sea so basically yeah, what what the sea can teach us about who we are and in particular about that how do we when I talk about connection I mean also that sort of self-connection a feeling of presence um and how does it facilitate that how does it you know I suppose retracing those kind of peak moments of what I call those moments of encounter when I was faced with like the you know real fear mm-hmm. <laughs> those kind of visceral moments and also those moments where you're in that kind of state of flow and presence so all the sort of the ebb and flow of, of it all and how um, what the ocean has been teaching me as I've yeah as I've been living my life uh, and then also then I it's not a it's not a sciencey book by any means. It's far more philosophical, if anything. Uh, but I do kind of make the the link then with the research I've been doing, which is very much around building on Wallace J. Nichols' Blue Mind of the effect of being in on or near water, and so what happens to us when we cross that threshold from land into sea. In particular, what is it about the sea, both physically but also psychologically, emotionally. Um, so I'm really interested, I suppose, in that capacity to be transformed by changing up our environment and what is it about water what is it about water i mean you you say something there's a beautiful <laughs> phrase there of moments of encounter right and mm-hmm. we're you know with coronavirus certainly all of us on this planet are encountering a moment you know unlike any others and i wonder without giving up all the nuggets of your book there's so much in uncertainty right now mm-hmm. and 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 fear and i imagine as as someone like myself also spent a lot of time in the ocean it's it's taught many of us around embracing fear embracing uncertainty and perhaps you can speak on that yeah i find it the universe sometimes pretty funny <laughs> sort of ironic that I mean I wrote I wrote most of the the book last year and then we'd just be going through the editing process and wrapping that up this last couple of months so I kind of yeah it's it's because there's a lot in it around facing how we face uncertainty and this whole notion of letting go surrender (laughs) which we've all collectively kind of been forced into um, having to experience directly and learn right now not just conceptually you know what those or intellectually what those words mean but how do we actually <laughs> let go of the things you we were so used to doing and having or had taken for granted and that whole process of surrender which is such a huge word uh, which I think is a lot to do with with uncertainty and and why the ocean can be such a good teacher in that respect because it's such an unpredictable environment as you know because it's constantly changing um, and yeah for me in my life I realized that was that's been such a powerful lesson to learn and when I talk about I suppose letting go and surrender it's maybe not immediately obvious but I, I think particularly in, in big wave surfing that's a huge part of it like it isn't about going out and slaying the dragon <laughs> you know conquering these big waves that's not at all what, at least my experience that's not at all what happens um and I know a lot of others would would back this up who who surf surf uh, bigger waves or any wave really, but it's in order to sort of catch a wave and ride it and be be present to that and be in that kind of you know the moment where it, when it all flows when it all aligns only happens when you actually let go any agenda any real like desire or to control the outcome or to I'm going to get I'm going to get barreled on this wave or whatever right. it is you know you because you just you can't force your line the wave's going to dictate that it's going to set the tempo and the rhythm and it's about how do you um how are you coming into relationship with that moment by moment um so you really have to let go all of your own expectations in a way um which is which is super interesting in a society where we're really geared towards like be the ones being in control right and now we're waking up to the reality that actually that's that's just not the case um 
yeah and the, yeah so that surrender is really actually it's super it's a really powerful I, yeah i see it as quite a powerful force rather than this yeah even and it's like this in those moments that seem really like um, your face say we you know with this this huge wave um it's intimidating there's a lot of fear but when you're in the place of surrender it's actually kind of like a softening into you know if you you have this oncoming wave coming at you like what we experienced that time when we were all body surfing and you right. meet it with like resistance or like oh i'm gonna you know stand my ground <laughs> <laughs> the ocean is a wonderful way of just like like no <laughs> just teaching you uh, that humility by completely swiping you off your feet you know and um Whereas if you soften even your body and relax into it, even though it goes against maybe the instinct to sort of fight or, you know, fight to fight it or, or uh, flee from it. It's so incredible because you're tapping into the energy of it. Then you're, you're carried with it rather than being pushed against it. Mm. Um, that might've been very philosophical, but that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's where a lot of us are, are have to be right now I, I i wonder if you know you like many of us have had to really surrender what we thought we were going to be doing you know you just spent yeah. maybe the past year plus you know writing a book and now uh who knows publishing houses are trying to figure out what to do with their staff you're mm-hmm. you're now up on the northern coast in ireland what are some ways you you or you or your partner are just finding um to surrender to make it through these days what are um some tips and tricks for for all of us Mm -hmm. who are isolated and and sequestered in our own ways and trying to figure out how to recalculate what what to do how to be yeah um i'm not sure i have the answers for that except i can just speak to where i'm at right now and it's it's funny with with this i've had a longing in me for a very long time for this desire for more spaciousness and really resisting the constant drive the the always on mentality uh the hyper like productivity that's demanded in academia working at the university um and that was becoming quite worrying and increasing cases of burnout and although i research like environment and human health seeing in my colleagues loads of examples of illness and disease caused by say, stress quite frankly um, you know? so I'm like whoa hang on a minute something is really out of alignment here um, so although this is such a shocking wake-up call and um, that it has to you know, come to this um, it's so interesting I, I actually feel I don't feel called at all to take action right now I'm not in, a, in that place um, at the moment and I feel like and maybe for a lot of us who feel really overwhelmed or, or disempowered, like what, what can we do? Um, actually, I think the most important thing to do is to finally <laughs> be with it, mm-hmm. as in be with how we're feeling, even if it's shitty and noticing the feelings in my body, like just even, you know, having, it's a time of, it's funny, I wrote this article at the start of the year um, for Finisterre called in deep water and it was sort of reflection on the year before and and what my kind of intention or desire was for the year ahead um and I w- in it I sort of talked about this feeling this pull to just listen to embrace this sort of deep form of listening before kind of moving on to the next big thing um and so I feel like now is the perfect time for that and so energy everyone I speak to will always bring up uh, in Ireland we're great we always talk about the weather anyway but now it's always it's all about the bird song wherever you are it's like noticing the birds <laughs> but you know things like that that are really important um, so yeah it's and I'm funny I've been noticing the resistance in myself too where I'm you know I'm still working remotely with the university and but I just don't feel the same drive to like get things done in the way I did before and I'm just allowing myself to be okay with that um i think what's being called of me right now is to really embrace this energy shift that's really needed uh in order to to first heal you know there's so much healing i think that's going to be needed um and i the best way to heal is also just to stop slow down and rest um Mm. so i think you know with where i'm at right now it's like okay that's that's i'm just staying with that so how can i 
stay self-connected when I'm feeling pulled in different directions. Um, you know, what, what does it look like for me to have more, more rest in my, in my day, in my life? Um, and then what are, yeah, obviously in order to stay grounded, it's going back to just really simple practices that I let slide around gratitude, for example. Um, I know it sounds so basic or, but you know, really just taking that time to appreciate those, those moments, all those spaces in between that if we're in a rush, we, we tend not to notice or, or take time to appreciate. Um, yeah, and, and just allowing for even this, you know, it's, it's a real ebb and flow on, on the daily where my, I find my mood is like, you know, it's, I'm in a real good place. I'm like, I've got this. We're living off grid. There's like all these things we can do. We can get growing and gardening and I have all these plans and ideas. <laughs> and then like a moment later, it's like, oh, I just, yeah, just no. <laughs> feel, end up feeling really low or so it's it's almost just like allowing, giving ourselves permission to just just ride that out, just be with that ebb and flow. For me, that I'm finding like that that's yeah, I'm not in a place to sort of vision um, oh my way out of this or to <laughs> learn a new language or you know maybe all of that will come. Uh, I know that's uh, it's very rich coming from someone who says they've just written a book, but. <laughs> To be honest, the book was something for me that was a real passion project that I could kind of like retreat away into. That was something of my own. So it was actually more of that's probably what I'm longing for as well, that more creative energy that's that's really authentic. And I think the resistance or resentment I feel probably comes from right now it feeling really clear when I'm doing something that's just not in alignment anymore with what it is that I value most. Mm. Um so I feel like there's definitely this kind of stripping away happening. Interestingly, I feel I also have felt that when I'm, when I'm surfing in those more extreme conditions. Um, yeah. So yeah, don't, don't want to answer that question, but I often think it's just, yeah, be, be really gentle and be with where you're at right now and don't uh, feel the need to, you know, you don't have to make yourself a better human. You're, you know, good just as you are right now. Right. Well, embrace the energy shift that is needed and with gratitude. Um, that's what yeah. I'm hearing. Yeah. What a lovely phrase. Well, I, I have a lot of gratitude for you for sharing some time. And maybe this moment we can shift a little bit and mm. um, almost turn the chairs on each other so I can share a little bit about Ocean State of Mind and we'd yeah. love to just brainstorm or what did we say inter interstorm <laughs> view. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, in our time left and I don't know the easiest way so I'll just sort of jump in we've shared a little bit about this but I've been framing this project ocean state of mind as a way to put mindfulness to work for ocean conservation if you will um, it's now it got accepted as part of a the ocean foundation and that's a nonprofit based in washington dc in the united states uh, supports almost 100 projects around the world that are all focused on ocean conservation and i've been both training for the last couple of years as a, a mindfulness teacher out of the mindfulness center at Brown University School of Public Health, and looking at uh, a ton of the research around outcomes related to mindfulness practice, and there's a, quite a bit around health and lowering of blood pressure, increasing overall sense of well-being, um, and then there's some researchers, in, including a woman, Christine Wainsler, who has been aggregating the, the research around mindfulness in the environment, and there, what appears to be rising out of it is some very compelling indicators that mindfulness practice can increase our sort of positive ecological behaviors, you know, or taking care of the earth, potentially even funding more for environmental sustainability projects, but that there's, it's not widespread. There's quite a few gaps and there's a lot more science and work to be done. 
And, you know, I've been developing this for the last year or so. And now with, with the pandemic, I realize, and, and, and our conversation right now is really reinforcing my view that the ocean has a tremendous amount to teach us all in this moment, the ocean and nature, right? There's, there's quite a few people that live near the coastline, maybe something like 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there are a lot of folks that don't. Um, and so thinking about how our pale blue dot in this universe can really support and bring health to um, humans in stress is, is how I'm starting to think about it now. And so I'm going to be spending the next year anyways, talking with lots of folks like yourself, Iski, who are already making those tight connections between human health and ocean health or environmental health. Um, as we start looking for really big opportunities in that space um, mm. to strengthen human nature connection, to increase our, our ecological behaviors, increase our conservation efforts. Um, so that's sort of a brief synopsis, and we'd love to just chat for a little bit and see if you have any questions. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's so exciting, and it's really great to hear how this has come together and evolved and taken shape and grown since uh, we last met. Uh, oh, I, I just love it. And then I, I read the, the article you shared, too. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, and I looked a lot more into mindfulness in the context of how it was used around nature connection, specifically, uh, of which there is a bit more. But I was kind of, in a way... Yeah, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't have been shocked, but I was given that my in my own practice and you've experienced this as well, of working in this space at the you know, that between mindfulness and ocean conservation, uh, of just how powerful a combination that is, right? And and then to sort of see that that's, that wasn't at all reflected in literature. There's just this huge gap where it's not being the link isn't being made of especially around sustainability because it's about human actions and behaviors and values and, and how we connect with ourselves and each other in society and, and how we relate to our environment. And mindfulness is such a powerful, um, well, it's lots of different things, but it's also a powerful tool to help facilitate that. Right. Um, and even in my own experience, like for example, it's and often the, the work in the work that I do, it's say for, it's almost like ocean is the byproduct. For example, working with women in Iran with the Be Like Water program, and now I have Martina doing something really similar with Sea Sisters in Sri Lanka. The focus there very clearly initially is around women's relationship with their bodies and how water can help build confidence and restore the ocean as a safe space. But it's kind of like creating just this, it's like a con- oh, the ocean is there to hold the women so that they feel, I suppose they can feel all of who they are again and also reconnect with the ocean in a positive way. But it's not, it's not initially about any of the other things to cut that come with it, but very quickly that comes, right? There's this different way, a total perspective shift in how they see the ocean. Um, and even and it happens very rapidly. So even in Iran where, okay, you're there and with the local community, their fishing background, ethnic baluch, um, you know, very familiar with the beach but they're surfing for the first time and this young boy is learning how to surf gets really stoked on it and that's in the morning we go away in the midday sun because it's too hot and then we come back that evening i'll never forget it he spent all day on the beach god love him he's kind of burnt to a crisp (laughs) he's probably not not great for his health but um he's there and he just had all these bags full of like the rubbish the marine litter he picked up from the beach he just stayed on the beach the whole day cleaning it and I asked him I I didn't say anything about the the marine litter problem or I didn't point out I didn't yeah any of that stuff and I just asked him wow like what how how come you did this what what was what motivated you to spend all day cleaning the beach um and he would basically and the short of it was that well he the ocean had just given him so much, so much joy. Like it was the place then he wanted to take care of, like you would keep your house clean, you know, uh, mm. or as a sign of respect. Um, and then culturally, that's a really big thing uh, where he's from too, of the, that you, if, especially as he saw it as his beach and he was welcoming us. It's like he wanted to, wanted to have that 
you know, there was a different, different, it was so, so amazing to see that take form in a really organic way, rather than kind of going in with all this sort of top down instrumental approach and how to, you know, roll out marine education, for example. <laughs> but that's, so that's just one kind of little offshoot to, to put it, you know, put it into context. But what, yeah, so what you're saying, I think is huge potential, especially with the work I found too, around this nature connection work. There's, there's different cultural underpinnings for sure, but it's also a really universal language that like connection to water. Um, so it's a great starting point as well to sort of broaden the scope if you're working with different parts of the world or so there's also that aspect. But I, I find the mindfulness part is just key. It's like that even in how I was teaching surfing, it altered how people would learn sur- surfing um, by doing it in a much more mindful way um and it's about the intention isn't it with anything we do it gives us that moment of pause to reflect yeah. on mm, you know whereas often a lot of the, the, the crap happens when it's, it's a mindless action <laughs> yeah yeah no i found that moment you know there's a lot of us have talked about the the amazingness of of a wave and and for folks that are playing on a wave or body surfing or just getting knocked over by a small wave or surfing is you have this thing that's been traveling you know from the sun basically mm. and through into our weather pattern and then blowing across an ocean and its last seconds of being in that energy form is when you're riding it when you're playing on it and i i've found bringing my mindfulness practice to that moment as a surfer when I'm about to stand up mm. um, and which often is sort of a non-doing non-thinking it, it's just being present in in all the ways uh, you might be present has has really helped uh, where often I I'm not sure what I was mm. doing <laughs> um, but I may not have been paying attention uh, in the way that would have helped me not just wipe out <laughs> Yeah, and what you're saying there, I guess mindfulness, people have different ways of interpreting it. But if you go back to, okay, it's like how paying attention in a particular way um, just brings to mind, I kind of look for it now, this book I finished reading um, by Jenny O'Dell, uh, How to Do Nothing, yeah. uh, which, is, which is kind of a misleading um, yeah. book title. But uh, essentially what it is, is resisting the attention economy. So it, she gets at what happens by... I suppose when we don't have a, that autonomy anymore over our attention and how and where it gets directed. And that's something that's also pandemic with how we communicate information and consume um, news. <laughs> I'm not going to, yeah, so I wasn't going to say fake news, but you know, it's, uh, we kind of are living in that time too, where there's such demands on our attention. And if you don't have those, you know, that ability to practice something like mindfulness, it can be really harmful when it's, you're not even aware of how your attention is being like siphoned off, you know, by these different multinational corporations on these different platforms in the media and so on and so on. But it's, yeah, it's quite powerful too. And so I think they had the work that you're talking about doing has a lot of huge potential um but when it comes to sustainability too i think a lot of it is around this notion of of attention too yeah what what you pay attention to grows you hear often um do you have one of the things i was thinking about which in a way is sort of put on hold uh because at least where i'm living we have uh closed all all parks all beaches all nature trails which uh is a sad scenario yeah. in lots of ways cuz mm-hmm. um nature is such a healing power for folks right now particularly when you're stuck in an apartment or maybe don't have access to a, a yard but um uh i had been running small ocean retreats basically where we were just getting folks out to the water um doing some short you know mindfulness meditation um which in many ways is sort of allowing us to do what nature does anyways it it, it you had mentioned that you know the blue mind work of being in nature naturally just calms calms you down and allows you to mm-hmm. experience what is there um just by its very nature of being nature. Um, and now I'm 
you know, realizing in the short term anyways, doing any sort of retreats may not be possible, but, but talking with and learning from people around the world that have been bringing the, the wisdom of nature, the wisdom of ocean to more people is, is an area that I can easily do whether through this podcast or, or other ways of raising awareness. And I wonder if, are there other people that I should be thinking about um, talking to and learning from that we can spread what, what their work looks like? Yeah. In, in terms of like the connecting people with blue space and like the whole health and wellbeing benefit mm-hmm. side of it, Damien. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you mean specifically different like projects or programs that are doing in a way, what, what, what you were also doing. But yeah, I was just thinking that because we um, work quite closely with one NGO, like surf therapy organization here in Ireland called Liquid Therapy. Um, and they just got like a, a whole, like lottery funding this year. And we're going to ramp up their program and take it you know, countrywide. And I, they also have a program where they, the kids come, like the same group of kids have been coming year on year. So it's also like a real kind of club and community for them. And they go, what are they going to do when they don't have that anymore? You know, and also for the parents, it's kids um, primarily with mental health disabilities and autism um, Mm. and various other physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there, yeah, there's that work. And then there's the work of um, Martina, who was at Wavemakers um, the year before. it, when you went to Sri Lanka with her Sea Sisters program. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so it's, I mean, at the moment it's like, so they, I imagine a lot of those things are on, on hold. Uh, but what also was interesting in the marine community, research community space, uh, we just published the Sophie kind of ocean human health kind of agenda. It's a research agenda for like the next decade focus more on Europe, but I think it's really widely applicable. And they kind of honed in on three kind of priority areas. And one of them being this blue spaces and well-being. Um, mm. And another one being that kind of actually the marine biodiversity and, and bio, biomedicine, uh, biotech. So there's a friend and colleague of mine who used to work for WHO and he does, he's doing a lot in, in that kind of biotech, marine biotech space. But they're kind of... Um, pivoting at the moment i using his language um we know in response this pandemic like, okay well how can the marine research community respond to this um and one of their okay a lot of the areas are looking at sort of innovations in the technology and, and medicine side of it um but also um he he got COVID 19 himself um and has recovered so he kind of knows firsthand mm. but the impact as you were saying of already it was really a major issue of like loneliness in society and the mental health um, issues kind of skyrocketing. And in order to, for us to actually recover from something like this, a vaccine alone isn't going to be enough. And there's going to be huge demands and pressure already. Uh, there are, but in particular in mental health services that there, I know in Ireland, the government is, it's just, they're just not looking at it aside from putting out a bunch of phone numbers that my mom, who's a psychotherapist said, you you already need to be in a place where you're somewhat self-connected to like pick up the phone and talk. Yeah. It's the people who are really in need of the therapy and the support will they will not pick up the phone. You know, she has clients that she's still working with and she will have to phone them. And when she does, they're just like so glad and grateful. Like they yeah. It's a lifeline for them, but they would never have phoned her. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think there's a lot of people that are going to get lost um, in this that aren't being, um, aren't going to be taken care of. Um, and then those of us who did have a certain level of resilience, I think it's going to be seriously eroded by the end of it all. <laughs> so, so there's two things. It's the importance, as you're saying now, of the storytelling awareness raising of getting this out there and pushing how important this is going to be in terms of restorative how we tackle the you know crisis that's going to come around loneliness the mental health issues why this nature connection blue space ocean work is going to be even more important i think because of something like this pandemic um so i can share you um i'll share a link that timmy sent out it was a survey he was just doing to kind of scope levels of interest and who could contribute what 
this kind of call to action he had and I don't know what how it will evolve around mental health um the mental health blue space narrative but um yeah I, I think there's going to be something big happening big big happening there and I, I don't know what I think it's probably just going to be quite simply what you were saying like how do you sort of amplify the work that's already being done to really strengthen the need and support for this work in in how we sort of pick up the pieces when we get on the other side of this yeah, yeah. Uh, as well as I mean yeah as you're saying what what can what can we do now when people are being cut off you know, it started out like, oh, great, we've all this time to go outside in nature. <laughs> right. And then, and then now it's like, oh, you know, we've, so many people are, they don't even have that anymore. Uh, so what happens, yeah, when you're in total confinement? Um, can you still connect? And so I've been, I mean, because I'm just still not in the space yet to even begin to really properly brainstorm how okay, my mind is. Yeah. I've just needed to come but down and land first and settle and it's taking a lot longer than I thought which is okay um but I was toying with you know for big wave surfing we do a lot of visualization techniques because you can only you know Mullet Mori might only surf it five times a handful of times a season that's a good season actually mm-hmm. um and so you don't get all that much time to familiarize yourself with the with the spot and so you do a lot of like um, really embodied kind of visualizations neuroimaging kind of stuff um that can be quite powerful and i just wondered is there you know can there be uh even yeah as well as the could you add, add some water to that kind of your know, mindfulness practice with some visualization <laughs> um I do it. I've done it before where sometimes if I have at the start of a session, even in a conference of the why water question and reconnecting with our early memories of water, for example. Um, and almost like sort of like a very short, simple guided meditation or visualization to go back to our you know, early water memories um, or our favorite place in nature with water, for example, and that we can kind of keep going back and, revisiting um within ourselves even if we can't go outside um, so that's just one one thing i was thinking i love of. it i love it yeah. I, I feel like one of the one of the sort of aha moments i had when uh we were doing these small ocean retreats and particularly with some communities that were like you know a bit far away or disconnected mm. or barriers to getting to the ocean once we got down there we you know we realized you know some of them didn't know how to swim or had a mm-hmm. real fear. And a lot of the, a lot of the, the work was creating a safe space and scenario for them to enter the water. And I could imagine just yeah. hearing this, this notion of embodied visualization or, or even going back to our early memories of water, which for many people may not be a positive memory. Well, this is true too. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. So when I used it in that context, it was interesting to see the mix. You're right of people who had this real positive experience, and then the people had the negative ones, and how that stayed with them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's the type of thing that could be done as a precursor, almost as an on ramp to the time that we can go back to water in groups, and maybe yeah. some of that sort of that work that healing has already happened. Um. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, and especially because at meditation, you're already connecting with the breath, which is a way again, you know, to remind people of how they're connecting with the ocean, which I'm, I'm sure you do. But um, breathing in the oxygen, and so much of it comes from the ocean, and the ebb and flow of our breath, like the tide, and just, I think those things are they're really simple, but definitely not to be underestimated right now. Because I find myself definitely going back to those the more the more simple, the better. Those kind of tools of practices that you probably used to always do but kind of let slide because yeah um so it's almost that like yeah going going back to the basics and they're actually really great tools to have yeah absolutely it is time to go back to the basics Um, yeah so i guess what is, is there three things then it's like the the storytelling part the the sort of the inner work of how we can keep the connection alive with water within ourselves through visualization, for example. Um, and then the third one will be 
how do we prepare as a community around say broadly speaking ocean therapy to i think have a more i don't know what, what is it that's needed it's like so that it's it's really shines a light on this this need to address the i think the the, the terrible consequences for mental health that are going to come about um, very rapidly um that are going to overwhelm systems that already weren't coping with it you know all the focus yeah. is now on on the virus um but it's going to have so many knock-on effects and i think this how we sort of again it's so that we don't miss the opportunity right so we don't like just you know spring back into trying to do business as usual with how we interact with the world around us and particularly the natural world so it's both that instilling that kind of respect and mutuality and interdependence of how much nature can support us and our healing and how vital it is that and that it's it's a healthy environment otherwise it it isn't going to be able to support our recovery <laughs> yeah it's really helpful to hear you repeat that back um because what what you've said and where where my mind has been settling is yes very much now on you know the ocean state of mind project is on storytelling like mm -hmm. the raising awareness the sharing of the wisdom yeah two there is there is the inner work right of finding my own tools to reduce anxiety and stress mm -hmm. and and maintain a connection to nature or water and the the third part is it's it's almost like preparing to turn the lights back on in a very big way yeah when we can get back out and actually start activating the solutions that have been there and 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 ideally it, that people are much more ready to to do right yeah and, yeah um all of us in the world that are cooped up can suddenly say i the blue scription right or the green scription mm -hmm. like yeah i need yeah. to get outside and i need my government to support and fund that and so yeah that third phase which is you know might be next year or sometime later next year but what do we know works what do we know has potential mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then how do we really fund and activate that stuff when, when it's time to go? Because we'll have folks that are truly, I think, ready to lean in in ways that we never could have imagined otherwise. Exactly. And, and I think the storytelling is in support of that. It's like, well, here's the case studies and the evidence and, uh, you know, and then the work I do, like our, we're supposed to launch this sort of nature connection toolkit to connect communities with the outdoors uh, <laughs> in Ireland. Um, and the timing we were going to be launching it pretty much now but it's huh. it's it's been set back but in a way the timing will be perfect for there will be such a need for it when we're starting to emerge from all of this um so it's it's really yeah, as you said turn the lights on really spotlight it um and it's interesting too because paralleling this is how obviously the environment is recovering in our absence um which is the tension there right for encouraging people to go out and be in nature um well it wasn't isn't you know but then i mean there lies the issue isn't it where i keep coming back to yeah but the, the issue is always the separation of us and nature you know the way we talk about it um so that yeah that's that's probably besides the point but again yeah, how do we again it's the quality of that relationship probably where mindfulness comes in as well of reconnecting in a way that's mutually beneficial <laughs> mm. um so surfrider foundation in europe um i was just had a conversation with them this morning and they're kind of working on this uh europe-wide initiative around bathing water quality um so again it's like it's like the other side of the story it's okay like healthy people need we need a healthy ocean yeah exactly um so they're they're trying to put together this sort of manifesto as such for the european commission to really advocate okay here's what what's needed um so this kind of you know more real-time reporting on water quality much more kind of citizen engagement and um so it's like if we're really pushing you know blue space for in particular for mental health then the other leverage is is like demanding <laughs> good bathing water quality <laughs> um yeah so it's that's no, great wonderful well i know we're we're close to time this has been um awesome to talk Eski, and um 
the, uh, the nature connection toolkit. Uh, it'd be interesting to think about what's the sort of coronavirus addendum, you know, to be done in your oh, home. Oh yeah, <laughs> we were going to have to put in a end section. I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good talking to you. It's definitely helped me tease out some of the thoughts that are obviously banging around in my skull that I didn't even realize. Um, <laughs> thanks for that. This is yeah, I really appreciate it, and I'm so excited for what the work that you're doing. It's just it's so needed, but it's really on point. Really on point, Damien. Yeah, I love it. Well, Iski, thanks for spending time. Um, and you and I are hopping on a call with our wave maker collective yeah. in a couple hours. So we'll continue. That's right. We'll Great. That. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, thanks so much. And I'll see that. Oh, you've got the Neruda book behind you. I do. Is that the book, the poem of uh, all the sea poems? It is. On the blue shore Oh, that's of my all time favorite. Yes. I love it. I was um, reading it the other, the other night. I keep it beside my bed. It's awesome. I have yeah. another book here, which is um, my new favorite. I don't know if you've seen this one, Rising by Elizabeth Rush. No. Oh. It's uh, she is a finalist for the Pulitzer. Just came out. She's actually based where I am in Rhode Island. And wow. Okay. It's a beautiful poetic book. Uh, it's it's about basically the inner the sea's edge and what's happening as water is encroaching with salt marshes and everything else. It's a it's a really wonderful. It's one of those books oh, that wow. I'm purposefully reading slow because I don't want it to end, you know? So I try oh, and hide wow. it from myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely <laughs> it's one to um, check out. Ah, oh, awesome. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> awesome. Iski, thanks again. So, and uh, we'll talk soon. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, we will. Thanks a million. Bye. Cheers.